Hello and welcome to We're Totally Not Okay. But that's okay. A podcast about the intersection between mass media culture and mental health. I'm Kaylee Legrand. I'm Tanya Bevan. Mm, we are. We are the joy of speaking to another fellow entertainer in today's episode, Michelle LaDuke. Yes, and we're going to be, well, she's going to be talking about a few things. Um, one that really stuck in my head was compromise. Yeah. Compromising your career. I, I Skype a lot with my sister, uh, and in another conversation with my sister, we were talking about this idea of compromise, and my sister is a scientist. She's in a very different field. However, we were still talking about this idea of compromising, whether it's, you know, so that you fit the needs of your boss, so that you fit the needs of the company that you're working for, the, the things that you give up in order to continue living in today's society, as opposed to sticking to what it is that you are so passionate about and following your dreams. You know, the the dreamers that sit on the other end of the spectrum where on the other side of, you know, fiscal responsibility. What would you do if money were not a thing? Yeah, and I think we live in an age where society tells you to do something one way, so you're compromising a lot in order to fit society's box. Yeah, you think about traditionally, you know, we're we're in a post-industrial age. We do not, we're not following the same patterns that, say, our earlier generations have. We, our educational system has been implemented to teach us how to be rigid, in a sense, to go to school, to learn how to do a nine-to-five, because it used to be, back in the day, you know, you were going to work in a factory, or you had the same career for about 30 to 40 years, whereas today... You have an abundance of opportunity, but it's also a very unstable landscape. And there are Mm -hmm. so many different entrepreneurs out there who we don't have nine to fives anymore. And it's a different professional landscape, no matter what industry you work in. Mm -hmm. So it's not so easy to take a look at how others have done it before you and then follow those same steps, that same pattern and expect the exact same result. Right. especially in the arts and entertainment industry. I mean, what it means to be an artist, and I think any business person is an artist these days. Any entrepreneur is an artist these days. You kind of have to be in order to find your niche, yep. which Michelle goes on to talk about. You you can't do the same thing. You can't try to appease everybody. You can't try to hit a mass audience with your product, even if your product is yourself, if your your name is your brand. Mm-hmm. Because not everybody is going to love the product that you have. Not everybody is going to love what you have to offer as an artist. And quite frankly, the artists that made it huge, they made it huge because they upset a lot of people first. Because a lot of people didn't want to accept the product they were putting out there or what they had to say. Mm -hmm. So compromise in itself sounds like a riskier path to take. Why not be a little bit more rebellious and stay away from compromising yourself or compromising your vision and fight for what it is you want to put out there in the world. Which I think Michelle has done. I mean, she comes from a a role that was 
completely different from what she's building for herself right now. She was on the other side of the camera, and uh, now she she does a plethora of different endeavors. She's an entertainer, I think is what she categorizes herself as, because she's not just an actor. She also is a writer. She builds her own projects out there, another necessity for artists these days. But her background allows her this awareness of the importance of branding, the importance of marketing. Although she goes to say that she doesn't believe in branding because it confides humans, which I also agree with. But again, it's necessary to have that niche for yourself, especially as an actor. Um, As David Rothenberg says, know what you're selling. Yeah. He has, uh, doesn't he have a workshop here in Toronto that um, one of the biggest things I hear our actors talk about when they come out of it is that they, he helps them find their hit. Mm Mm-hmm. And for those who have never heard this term before, for an actor to know what their hit is, it's almost like learning what your type is. I'm sure most people have heard about typecasting, being continually cast into very similar roles. You know, Mm -hmm. if you are the debutante, if you are the... um, Screen queen of horror. Femme fatale. Femme fatale, yeah. Yeah, girl next door. There are certain categories that as much as it is frustrating to think that we are supposed to find a niche and find a brand uh, to fit into uh, something that is pre-existing I hate that idea of trying to fit into something that somebody else has already defined because as an artist you're looking to define yourself but it it does help to learn what the system already is so that you can find your way in and find your way of changing it mm-hmm We explore this a lot more with our conversation with Michelle. So let's hop into the interview with her. Boing! Let's start with an introduction. Alrighty. Tell me your full name and tell me who you are. Gee, my full name. You'd think that would be an easy question. (laughs) No. In my case, not necessarily. Well, I was born Terry Michelle LeDuc. Most of my professional life, I have been Michelle LeDuc. Um, A few years ago, I started dabbling with my first name I got married and took on Catlin as my last name, but I am professionally Michelle LeDuc, and at home I'm Mrs. Catlin. Oh. <laughs> the duality of a superhero. That's <laughs> <laughs> To go back to my geekiness geeky. and the comic book t-shirt comic I'm wearing. Book t-shirt, yes. <laughs> so you are in the entertainment industry, mm-hmm. and even within the entertainment industry, uh, you've, you've found some changes and development as far as your name and branding has gone. Yes, because I started before there ever was a conversation called branding. (laughs) Other than for, you know, toilet paper. For the listeners out there, she looks like she's 32. (laughs) If you're hiring a 32-year-old to cast, ask for Michelle LaDuke. (laughs) That's hilarious. Okay, you're 42. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I have. I have. I started my career in lifestyle television and really only because when I was in high school and you know lost and trying to figure out what to do with my life like you know almost everybody I had a dream oh I meant to bring you something oh so when I was as long as I can remember I wanted to be an actor okay Mm -hmm. Um, when I was in grade nine our theater arts teacher had us write down what we wanted to be doing in 10 years and put it in an envelope. And it said, do not open until, and then the year was 10 years out, right? I kept that little envelope. I still have that little envelope. 
And, and you've since opened it? I have since opened it, mm -hmm. yes, because the open date was quite some time ago. <laughs> so when I, I, like I said, I don't have any memory of not wanting to be an actor, right? So mm -hmm. what I wrote, and this is so telling, is I would love to be acting and singing and dancing on Broadway, but that probably won't happen. You wrote that I that wrote probably that. won't happen. I wrote that, yes. I wrote, I did not have that kind of confidence. I did, I, for me, the world was out there. There was everybody out there competing, and who was I? I was not a part of the world. And so when I was in high school, even though I danced, you know, um, in my spare time, the idea of a career was honestly not even on, on the radar screen. Mm. So we had a day at school for colleges to come in and present what they do. And I just kind of assumed I'd, you know, go to U of T, get a business degree, something that sounded practical to me, of which I knew nothing. <laughs> and um, we had this community college day, and so I got stuck in this room, and they were talking about things like journalism and radio and television broadcasting. And I had never even considered that that was a career, right? Mm -hmm. So I saw all the components that made this up, right? So there was writing, and there was filmmaking, and there was... Um, what? Storytelling, really, storytelling, you know, and even an on-camera, you know, performance aspect, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember going to a payphone, that's what we had in those days, <laughs> there were no cell phones, um, I went to a payphone and I called my mother and I said, Mom, I found the perfect compromise. Oh, compromise. And that was, sounded like a good word to me then. <laughs> Today, it's like, wah, wah. <laughs> You know, wow, is that anticlimactic, right? Deciding well, your career as a compromise. Well, yes, compromise is still necessary at moments in life. Absolutely. But, but you don't want to compromise with what you want to do with your life, mm -hmm. you know? Especially at an age when there's no reason to compromise, yeah. right? When you shouldn't already know the hardships of life. <laughs> you should be so you. jaded. You were too smart back then <laughs> that, to yeah, already see that's the future. It, right? <laughs> so... Uh, really, I got into broadcasting as a kind of compromise. Now, what it did afford me was the opportunity to learn to tell stories. And by the time I transitioned to in front of the camera, first as a reporter, then as a host, and, and then as an actor, I had produced over a thousand stories. Wow. So I had written, directed, produced in the field a thousand stories. I remember calculating one saying, okay, so I was in this job for this many years, I did three stories a week, and then I was in this job for two years, I did one, and I calculated, oh, I get it. <laughs> I've made over a thousand stories. And so I really saw that as, okay, I could be, you know, crying over the fact that I haven't been pursuing the career I wanted, or I can utilize the skills I've developed, mm -hmm. right? And so, like I said, what I did was I first went for a job interview to talk about field producer, field directing, which is what I did. And I suggested the whole on-camera thing. Well, can I be a reporter too? And I um, basically, you know, got the producer on board with that idea and became a reporter-producer. And then out of that, put together a reel, got myself an audition for a hosting job that involved dance, mm. you know, which I had some background in. And uh, became the host of a show called Dancing at the Palais on W. 
And uh, that got me into the Actors Union, and there you go. I made a transition. You created your own pathway, and you started branding yourself before branding was a thing. You had the wherewithal to do that before you were taught. Okay, I'll go with that story. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it. I mean, you not only had the thousands of stories that you were able to put together um, through those opportunities, but you found a new way to enter into a business that you once didn't think was going to be viable for you. I'm, I'm not... That's all true. Um, I'm not 100% sure if I'm comfortable with the term branding. Why? Because I think it commodifies human beings. And I... It's not that I'm opposed, it's not that I'm um, not uh, open to the, the idea of it, but there's something about it for me that is, is too much about a product. And I think we're, as human beings, much more well-rounded and diverse and complex than that. Now that said, I do understand that there is a kind of I won't call it a necessary evil because evil's too strong a word, but there is a necessity for kind of niche marketing yourself, right? Mm -hmm. I do understand this. I do understand as an actor, you have to have your hit, right? You have to have that little narrow niche. It's not to say that you can't play beyond that, but that you have to know what you're selling. Mm -hmm. So there you go. I've come around. <laughs> you, you come around to a different term, a hit. <laughs> well, I didn't come up with that. That came from David Rotenberg, but... Um, but uh, you see, I just had a moment to talk myself into your whole branding thing. Now I'm here with Kaylee. <laughs> well, that's one of the struggles that I personally see on my journey is understanding, I guess, morally compromising myself to get on board with that as well. Because my background comes from studying the media and understanding how by creating these sorts of branding through story through the bias of the news, through commercialism, that we've created such segregation in our world and many problems that are a whole other issue, another, another topic, another podcast, if you will. But not to get too far into the political realm, it's challenging mentally for me to accept the fact that I do need to limit myself in certain regards and create this particular hit or brand to start to be recognized even in the industry so that you can grow beyond and play other roles. Yes, yes. I, and I think, I think if you, are, you use the term, um, what did you say? Not a moral compromise? What was, is that what you said? I think it is what I said. Okay, it was, it was something moral, right? Like, like, a, like you're having to give up something of, of your values, right? Mm -hmm. And I say that the line is not going to that place, right? So that you, I think you have to maintain integrity within your own personal values while understanding the industry and finding your niche there. You know, I, right. I think when you start to uh, compromise your integrity, um, what matters to you, you know, the core of what matters to you, I think that's when we get into trouble, you know, emotionally and mentally. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. However, I, I have yet to experience, I guess, a full month without going through that process, knowing that 
particular roles that I'm going out and auditioning for, especially being a woman mm. in this industry. A young woman, a beautiful woman, you know, a fit woman. You fit a particular yeah. niche. Yeah. And within that particular niche, there are very limited roles that you will audition for. And it can be mentally taxing and in order to be okay with that. that. I, I totally get that. I mean, I get, you know, I'm the lawyer judge, you know, I'm that person. Like, I'm not a diverse person, you know, I'm not the many facets of who I am or could be. So I totally get that. Um, I had a question for you. So how do you deal with that? Like, do you feel like you have to compromise yourself, your integrity, your morality? Honestly, yes. Sometimes yeah. I do. And I think the way that I bring that into a place of acceptance for me is understanding that I, at the end of the day, still have a very strong passion and love for storytelling in general mm -hmm. and for my business and building my business within this industry, knowing what the stepping stones are. Mm -hmm. I chose to be an artist because I didn't want to become a banker and do a nine to five mm -hmm. and focus on currency and study only the Forex and then go home and be stressed out and, and not have what I personally need as my spiritual release, I guess you could say. So it sounds like basically you're truing yourself up to your bigger values, right? So that maybe it's not the kind of role you'd exactly want to play, but you're getting to play a role. Right. That I get to add to what storytelling is. Mm -hmm. That said, because it's always a double-edged sword and there's always a flip side, if I play, um, what was it? I played a, a basically Volvo driving soccer mom of a character in a TELUS commercial, yeah. um, showing a bunch of pictures of my brand new babies. Yeah. And that was, that was the, the, the character that had to be hit immediately for a commercial. Yeah. You don't get very much time to establish what your character right. is. It has right. to be stereotypical mm -hmm. and readily, um, evident mm -hmm. on screen yes. so playing that role being able to one essentially compromise myself in in boil myself down to a stereotype and two knowing that the storytelling that i'm adding to is to sell a product i think mm -hmm. i already said the product saying maybe i should leave that out but yeah <laughs> probably a good idea. i probably will but it's still i find that i'm experiencing levels of compromise to be a part of this industry and the big evil side of it at the end of the day is big business, mm -hmm. big business media, mm -hmm. but it is also a, a reality that we exist within. Yeah. I think for me, how I reconcile that, because for me, it's not an option to compromise my integrity. Now, I don't say that like from a high and mighty place, right? Like I'm so much above that. That's not what I mean. What I mean is, um, I have to, first of all, I have to see if I can do it because there are things that I've turned down. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm just not going to be associated with, you know, maybe a certain political stance, right? Like there are ads for political parties, right? And maybe it's something that I really can't get behind, right? Yeah. Or maybe it's a product that I, that it's, you know, really, really can't get behind. Then I will turn those down, you know, I will, or I will turn down the audition, right? Because mm -hmm. I'm not in a position to be like, you know, no, no, <laughs> don't want your offer, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not in that position. But um, I think that for me, it's, you know, just the whole idea, let's say, of commercials, right? Where you are selling a product. 
is contextualizing it in that you are a professional actor. Yep. And people know they're watching professional actors. This is what you do. You sell your acting ability, you know. And so I think when you define a context for yourself that keeps your mental well-being intact, mm -hmm. then you have a little more leeway, you know. You have to pay the bills, mm -hmm. right? So it's a balancing act. Yeah, I'd say that if I were to hold so steadfastly to that, that moral integrity of not compromising myself in that way, I would be walled in myself. I would be in the woods and trying to wash my clothes on a rock and <laughs> searching and scouring for berries and twigs. And I, I wouldn't exist. It would be an extreme end of the point. Well, I think... I this is my interpretation, but what I think... What I hear in what you're pointing to is more a rigidity to a very high standard, right? And I, I don't think that's what integrity is. I, I think what you're talking about is when you step back and look at, so what are my values? Like, not just what do I agree with or don't agree with, mm -hmm. okay? Because yeah, there are lots of commercials. I don't, I don't buy those products, right? Is that out of integrity for me to, you know, be the actor in that commercial? No, I'm a hired actor, that's what I do. But if you're looking at the, the bigger values of like the, the, the core things of what really matter, that's where I think we do have to adhere to them. Otherwise, you end up miserable, mm -hmm. you know. But you're not going to agree with everything, right? I think right. that's a little different. Maybe that's where the compromise comes in. Perhaps. And Perhaps. Which exists without... Um, compromise in the best sense, right? Like you said, the world does need compromise, right? We need yes. to have... Sides coming together, right? There's the positive side of yes. compromise. Yes, absolutely. understanding that the world still goes on and it can't be just your way. That's or right. Yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. The economy still needs to grow. Yes. <laughs> Days go on. Now, how has I know that you've had your own personal journey as far as um, being with being in this business and having to take a step out of the business and coming back to it. Can you tell me a little bit about your personal journey with it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and by a little bit, I mean, I, we've, we've spoken many times about it before. Yes. It's also, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, as a major thing that happens in your life goes on, you get better at telling it in a shorter and shorter way, right? Yep. I don't know if I'm there yet, <laughs> but I'm going to do my best. Okay, we have best. time. It's a podcast. Okay, right. right. Well, they people who've listen. never met me, I'm going to tell you a long story about myself. <laughs> No, I'm going to try and keep it brief. So, Well, trust me, it's worth it. <laughs> Thank you. So, started in this business in 1987. <laughs> so, we go back almost 30 years. Well, I've already talked about the kind of transition. So, as a performer, because I started late in the business, right? I think I was 29 or 30 by the time I started as an actor. So, I'm already, you know competing with people with you know, 20 years experience, at least 10 years experience. So I had to find a way to create my own way in, you know. So first, as I said, there was the reporting and then hosting and then, you know. So I also started to create my own work. I made a couple of short films, um, which did the festival circuit, won a couple of awards, and then I did a one-woman show. And that show was very much about... Uh, a transformation in my own life. And this is a, a theme that I realize I keep coming back to. So for 
over 20 years I have been not just interested in um, what it means to be human, but swimming in the waters of that. You know, like so engaged that sometimes I don't realize that that's something I read about, I watch, I observe, I write about, you know. It's just, it's like the air I breathe, right? I'm completely consumed by that whole area. That's the theme you're talking about, what it means to be human. What it means to be human. So from a philosophical, spiritual, ontological perspective, you know, it's the study of what, what is what does it mean, you know, and and how can I continue to grow as a human being? Um, so that was really the theme of my show. It was called How to Become a Diva, and it was really about becoming who I am, you know, <laughs> coming like owning who I am rather than apologizing for who I am. We um, are Canadian. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so you know, culturally, that people probably lot. already assumed. That's right. Sorry. <laughs> Um, sorry. Um, so after that show, and it was so emotionally rich and tiring. And after that show, I kind of collapsed. You know, I went to the cottage. I was tired. Never recovered. That was seven years ago. From then until now, I went through this process where I was just getting more and more tired, um, and more and more about you know twenty some odd symptoms aside from that vague symptoms. Um, uh, as they're called in the Western medical world, came on board. Um, they weren't vague to me, <laughs> but they were called vague symptoms. Um, and I got to a point where I could only work part-time, and then I got to a point where I couldn't work at all. And I went through this very dark time. I won't call it depression, because I think we throw that word around too loosely. Um, I was not clinically depressed, but I was very sad and felt very lost and felt very much like I was dying. Not physically, I knew I wasn't dying physically, but my life had died. And my life as I know it, and my life as a, a go-getter, you know, as somebody who was busy all the time, involved in communities and, you know, active and creating and, you know, full of life, was gone. I was in bed most of the time. A good day was a day when I could get up and cook. So, this was the life I now had to deal with. And with no answers in sight, no, you know, the doctors and specialists and all the people I saw would just kind of shrug their shoulders. They didn't know what it was. Yep, you have chronic fatigue, you know. Um, at some point, they had pinpointed hypothyroidism, but I still, there was no answer, you know. Um, so at some point, and I really think the health thing kind of aligns with, the whole life purpose thing and my career, so it all kind of came together at once. What I started doing was journaling religiously. Not just the way I had before, but daily and sometimes for hours. Mm -hmm. And getting everything out and working through things on the page. And what's so gorgeous about journaling is that you have an audience with endless patience and endless time to hear what you have to say. And you don't have to worry about saying the wrong thing about anything, you know, it's just pure expression. And out of that, when you can have that kind of audience with no judgment, you can reflect back on it in a very open way and see new things. 
Do you read back on old journaling? I, I, you know, I never did because I would gag. <laughs> um, because if you've ever read a journal back, it's mostly crap because you're spewing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But I read this wonderful book called Writing Down the Bones. And in it, she described the act of journaling as composting. So you're just like putting all this crap out there and eventually something will bloom. Oh, I love that analogy. Yeah. That changed everything for me because it turned it from something very personal, like, oh my God, I can't write. This is terrible. I sound so trite and boring and repetitive to, oh no, that's the process. Mm -hmm. That is the process. And something will bloom, but it's not every day. You know, no artist goes into their studio or, you know, wherever and is brilliant every day from nine to five, (laughs) you know, it just doesn't happen like that. It's the willingness to be engaged and to wait for something to arise, for something to bloom. It's like that 80-20 rule. You have to get through 80% of what's going to be compost to find the 20% goal. If it's going to be even 20, (laughs) I'm not sure. Sometimes it's not. You know, sometimes it's not, but it's not having an expectation you know, just trusting, really, that something will come of it. Mm. And so in the process of learning to write a solo show, um, the exercise was read back your journal over the last two months and see what, what keeps repeating itself, what's calling to you, what's coming up. And so in, in going back, that's where I first realized, even though I'd been engaged in this, you know, uh, um, inquiry about being human for over 20 years well at that point you know over certainly over 10 years it wasn't until I went back in my journal and saw this is the theme it's about how am I growing how am I expanding how am I contributing in the world right it was like my humanity and that gave me the impetus and a specific thing that happened gave me the seed of my show so it was really just expanding on that so was the journaling pre or post show? Yeah, actually it was pre, but it was off and on, you know, mm-hmm. until after I got sick. Once I got sick, I returned to it, but with a kind of compassion that I hadn't had before, knowing that it's not all gonna be good, right? That it's mm-hmm. just it's the it's the act of it, it's not the result of it, right? That's valuable. So I started journaling and I was having such profound realizations about what really mattered. And, you know, it's hard to express them in a few words because that's how they become cliches, you know, like what really matters in life, you know, um, that ambition doesn't really matter in life, you know, what is success, what does it mean to be human, what does it mean to be valuable, but really actually experiencing these questions in a, in a whole new deep and profound way for me. So, as an example, I could not find any value in myself if I wasn't creating something, doing something, contributing to people, you know. Uh, How is there value? How could I have value just being? That was so foreign to me, and it really had me confront my identity. So, if I am not the actor, writer, producer, director, if I'm not the, you know, friend who's there, if I'm not the whatever, who am I? So it was kind of this forced stripping away of my ego, 
you know, for better or for worse, right? Because we need an ego. So, but it was, it was completely stripped away from me. I was just this person in a bed, you know, living with my unbelievably supportive um, husband and a dog and a cat in the country, you know? Mm -hmm. When I could be okay with that, everything changed, mm -hmm. you know? So that process of journaling gave me access to being okay with that. Like, what if this is as good as it gets? That was, that was really hard to confront. What if I never get better? There was no sign of getting better. So either I can resist what's happening and be miserable, I can sweep it under the carpet and be all Pollyanna and I know I'm getting better, you know, which I did for a long time, which only got me worse because I didn't deal with the symptoms, the situation. I didn't deal with it. I just kept pretending it wasn't there and they're pushing, thereby pushing myself further into this exhaustion, mm -hmm. you know. So it was really finding a place where I could accept it. And then in accepting it, I could then look at, okay, now it's possible. So when I had no answers coming from the outside, I realized I need to take responsibility for my life on a whole new level. And I, um, after several years of going to different practitioners and, and you know, having no real improvement at all, I decided, okay, I'm stopping every, everything. You know, I'm not taking pills. I'm not uh, taking supplements. I'm going to heal myself naturally for six months. Let me see what I can do with a baseline, right? Mm -hmm. So I started to uh, study uh, voraciously um, leading-edge nutrition, uh, meditation, grounding, um, all, uh, sleep hygiene, you know, all kinds of things that make us well. And in six months, I started to see some really big improvements. And then I found uh, a naturopath who listened to all the symptoms that nobody seemed to be able to figure, figure out. Mm -hmm. and it's vague. The vague <laughs> symptoms. Let's still hoax me. Vague. No, my pain is real. <laughs> Exhaustion is real. My inability to think properly is real. Mm -hmm. um, but they listened to my symptoms and like a jigsaw puzzle started putting things together, did some blood tests and discovered I had now, I now had an autoimmune disorder. So um, since then I've been working with them and continuing, like I work in partnership with them now. And I think this is really a key lesson um, for me because there were areas in my life that I was really good at taking ownership of, you know, that I knew if I want to do this, I've got to create my own path, right? Like you were talking about. But I wasn't doing it with my health. I was saying, I wish somebody would give me an answer. Just tell me what to do. It would be exhausting that you have to take that on too. You know? When yeah. you have no strength left. That's right. So I realized, okay, but there, really, at the end of the day, it's me. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's us. We have to, for ourselves... Take on the responsibility of our lives. The cool thing is, after I got over the anger, the upset, the you know injustice, all of that of it, I got the opportunity of it. 
So when I came through the other side, I'm not saying that I'm 100% well, I'm not, um, but when I came to the other side of the deepest, darkest part, I really got the opportunity of it. That everything I do, every person I associate with, everything I choose, watch, read, associate with, is shaping my life. And I get to say. <laughs> wow. So that, you know, I hesitate to say this, that it's made the last seven years worthwhile, but I suspect in five years I'll be willing to say that. That you'll be able to look back on that time. And say that was without so any, worthwhile. Without, yeah, without any, yeah, without any regret, without any hesitation. I mean, the fact is, I was, you know, total type A, um, pushing myself always, you know, with that I'll sleep when I'm dead attitude, which is, yeah, bad Kaylee. <laughs> you, you know me well. Bad, bad, bad. I don't know what you're talking about. I got into bed last night. <laughs> no, I got out. <laughs> Oh, that's something. Watch a little uh, Stephen Colbert. Yeah, because TV at night, you know, yeah. stimulating yourself. Yeah, that's I invite the technology into my bed. Right, very good, very good. There's so much we know now about, like, you know, it used to be kind of like a good idea because your mother told you to get a good night's sleep, but we actually know now the science behind this. We need to sleep enough. It so shortens our longevity our productivity, our mental faculties, our experience of the enjoyment of life, everything. Anyway, I'm not going to lecture. Oh, feel free to lecture. That's what this podcast is about. We're lecturing you so, on life. I like that I say I'm not going to lecture after I just lecture you. Right? Okay, anymore. Not, anymore. Right, exactly. I'm not going to lecture you anymore. Until we're done recording. That's right. Then they'll be all over you. Well, I think that's what I'm inviting into my life with this podcast. I'm searching for the lectures that need to be given to me. Yeah. And it, what's also great is, you know, as much... It's wonderful what you're doing because you're adding something really of value to the internet. And, you know, we know there's so much crap on the internet. But, as we know, it's also the great democratizer. And there's so much great health information out there. I am scouring through stuff all the time. I'm sending stuff out to my friends and there's so much great stuff. Yeah, some of the stuff that you've been sending to me is mm -hmm. absolutely incredible. We will be uh, attaching some of the information in the show notes and on the site. So cool. um, we'll, have, cool. we'll have accessibility for our listeners yeah. to do a little bit of research themselves if they're interested. That's great. That's great because, you know, I am not an expert except in my own life, right? I'm the expert on me. Um, and that's, you know, that's the only thing I'm going to take on being expert in, mm -hmm. but I can share my own journey, you know, my own experience. And I can also share the incredible resources that are out there, you know, the people who are like so committed to wellness, you know, and there are so many of them and they're, the way they're sharing the information, the access to it, that, you know, it's tremendous. There's one person I follow who is so generous in her information, her articles, her recipes, everything, that she just released a, a cookbook and I just had to buy it because I felt like I had to pay her something. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, I'll use her cookbook, but I just felt like I, I need to pay you some money because I've gotten so much for free from you. What, what book is this? Wellness Mama. It's her latest cookbook. She has two cookbooks. And, uh, you know, if she can do what she's doing with six children, Oh God. six children, 
Yeah, I know. Oh. I have none. <laughs> so, and I, I know we'll have none. I don't have, I don't have intentions to have yeah, them. <laughs> so I couldn't cope with none. <laughs> she wow. had six. And she, like the stuff she puts out. Anyway, she's one person, right? There are many, also many doctors and, and trainers and all kinds of people. Anyway, it's just there's such a vast richness out there of cutting edge stuff that really won't be in the mainstream with our family doctors for another 20 years. I, I can't wait that long. A lot of people cannot wait that long. Yeah. I, that's my assumption. I know yeah. that I can't and I don't want to. And um, as much as you say you're not an expert when it comes to uh, all of the research that you've been doing, I know likewise, I'm not an expert when it comes to mental health. Yes. I'm not an expert in, although I studied mass media culture in university, mm. it's not... It's such a broad umbrella oh, and I, I've hopped around a lot within the industry. I don't I would never call myself an expert on yeah. mass media culture, but the passion that I have for wanting to find answers for such frustrating experiences in life, like the ones that you've been through and, mm. and the ways that media shapes our mental health. Well, it's great what you're pointing to because I think people are, I think we're tired of, or perhaps understand now the limitations of answers and what you're giving us is an inquiry and I really think that people are hungry for inquiry you know because mm -hmm. we don't know stuff and the whole thing with you know all the different modalities I'm using to get well you know is if I waited for my doctor to approve you know the the time I spend in the sunshine the grounding I do on the grass the you know I'd be dead because there's so much more out there and, and I think we're willing to inquire and experiment and look and see what works for you. And if I were to give any piece of advice, it would be look for what works for you. Mm -hmm. Not what, you know, so-and-so says is the right way because, of course, we know so many things. I mean, you know, when I was born, it was common knowledge that formula was better than breast milk. Yeah, okay, so, no, sorry, we were wrong about that. Now... Hindsight's 2020. Yeah, so my point is, do what works for you, you know, because what, what we instinctively know is often truer than what we've been taught. And a I heard this great example just yesterday. So one of the people I follow is a wellness and weight loss guru named John Gabriel, who was over 400 pounds and is now like 187 or something, right? and maintained for about 10 years. Just incredible man. Um, and he said, you know, he's very into the mind-body connection, right? Like he, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Not as scribes, credits. Um, the mind-body connection, healing some of that component to his eventual weight loss, right? After trying every diet. Um, and he said, you know, there are things about energy that we don't know. But, you know, you don't want to wait until we have the scientific proof if it's working, if we know it works, right? Mm -hmm. um, even if we don't have the evidence. And as an example, he said, Einstein had a theory about uh, gravitational waves. And excuse me, I'm no scientist if I get this wrong. Um, he had a theory about gravitational waves, or like how of, of how that worked, how gravitation worked, right? And he said to his audience, and he was speaking just this past year, and he said to his audience on this recording, 
Do you know when that theory was proven? Last week. Wow. So... <laughs> it takes time. It and takes you time. do need to find what works for you. Exactly. Which is... I love the fact that you bring up the idea of this podcast being inquisitive and, and in terms of posing questions as opposed to trying to put solutions out there for yes. anybody. Um, that's the end goal for the most part. That's the, the main goal with this podcast is to just open up more space for this sort of conversation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because as much as I don't even myself understand why it is so important, I've come to a point of recognition that being able to find some sort of mental balance and peace, no matter what your field is, mm -hmm. it's a human struggle. It, it's across the board. It can be very difficult. It can be very challenging. And we are not going to find one solution that will fit for yes. every person. Yes. And I think we get into trouble when we start to um, get dogmatic about anything. Absolutely. You know, whether it's health or politics or, you know, media, whatever. When we get dogmatic, we, we have the right way. Well, then everything everybody else believes that isn't that becomes the wrong way. Absolutely. And then you walled in yourself and then you're in the woods by yourself with no other humanity around you. <laughs> Refusing to do commercials. <laughs> I will not take this job. I don't care how much money you give I me. Let, I will not be a shill for your corporate evil doing. <laughs> It's me against big business. <laughs> yes, good luck with that. <laughs> oh, but it it tends to you still have to be aware of the fact that I mean even grounding yourself on grass and doing meditation mm -hmm. uh, that those might not be the immediate suggestions from your general practitioner in mm -hmm. our Western society. Mm -hmm. Maybe they stem from um, some sort of Eastern medicine practice that. Mm -hmm. We have only started really in the past, what, 10, 15 years to take seriously on a medical well, professional level. Well, that's it. You know, I mean, in Eastern cultures, they've been meditating for thousands of years. And now in the last 20 years, we have studies showing the benefits of meditation, scientific benefits. It's like, you know, <laughs> there might be something to this thing that they've been doing for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. You know, so yes, there, you know, different ways yeah. of doing things. So this is one of the things that was the biggest things for me in this period was I was a head thinker. Okay. I grew up in a political activist family, right? And my way of dealing with the world world was from the neck up. And as I have opened myself to becoming an artist, I have learned to think from my heart and my gut. And it's finding that way to listen to all three because we're not just the head, right. you know? We know there is no human being who has ever walked in a room where there was a ton of tension and not felt that. Mm -hmm. Now, was that intellectual? Did somebody say something? No. You can, the expression, you can cut the air with a knife. You don't have to think about that. It's a feeling, right? We've come up with these colloquialisms and metaphors to, yes. to speak about it because there is something there. Yes. Yeah. That's true. It's funny that you bring that up. I was just having a conversation about the difference in performance in the improv community or mm -hmm. sketch or comedy community 
I do a lot of stage comedy and when we speak about the different styles that say Toronto has from Chicago the most immediate difference that's brought up is the fact that Chicago performers tend to be a lot more talking heads they be mm. they'll be more heady interesting and Toronto performers are a lot more uh, are a, a lot more uh, regularly coming at a scene fr- with emotional capacity, a, bringing a strong emotion to a scene without anything else to start, or some sort of physicality to influence their choice for the scene. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just something that um, we've seen, I guess, a little bit more blending as the years have gone by but it's still readily recognizable across the border really and what do you think that adds you know on either side what do you think that makes me wonder what the differences are from a u.s performer to a canadian performer and maybe maybe why systemically and culturally what makes us different as people that then makes us different as performers that's a fascinating question because really I would have stereotypically thought it'd be the opposite, you know, that we're, you know, we're peace, order, and good government, right? That we're, we're quieter, we're the thinkers, you know, and they're more bombastic and emotional and passionate, you know, so I would have thought it would have been the opposite. I'm going to have to sit and watch old EDC and (laughs) Chicago shows and Toronto shows and you need to do a paper on this. <laughs> oh, I've written reviews on, on the Second City Main Stage show before. Cool. Um, that's a, that's very I, interesting. I wonder, I wonder what that provides. I wonder what it provides for audiences and also for the performers in being able to bring that kind of rounded approach. Well, it also makes me wonder what that transition... Why, not only geographically, I know that the transition from making it from, say, the Chicago main stage at Second City mm-hmm. to SNL, mm-hmm. as opposed to coming from Toronto. Mm-hmm. Geographically, it's going to be more difficult. We know that. Mm-hmm. But if that style is more apt to get you on the SNL stage or to get you auditions, mm-hmm. why is that? Why is it that the SNL shows tend to favor that and and, I don't know, know that it sells better to larger audiences, to to North American audiences, Mm. as opposed to this emotional... I don't know. I'm not in that world, so... Very different. You just just (laughs) made me think about it. Yeah, it's it's an interesting inquiry. Maybe also because I have a show tonight, so I'm I'm pulling things from our conversation that I know are going to come up in my show. Absolutely, absolutely. That's great. So what do you do... Now, what do you, um, as far as your career goes for acting, what is your balance with maintaining your health? Well, right now, it doesn't require a lot because I'm not doing anything. (laughs) So um, I have just started back to auditioning. had my first audition last week in, you know. Congrats. Thank you. Two and a half, three years almost, right? So I had to go on sabbatical for that time. Um, And that felt great. And what felt great, and so here's where I saw what's new for me, what's different for me, is I was in the waiting room. And you know, so the ex- I had the same experience that I had three, it was like I, you know, a week ago, right, rather than three years ago. So I had the experience of 
you know, you see all the other people that look like you, right? And, and you don't want to get in, in any headworms about that. It's like, oh, I look just like everybody else, right? You know, and you know, all the stuff that goes on in our head, right? So, you know, and the nervousness, uh, you know, all that, that energy. So for me, it was kind of like noticing it. Just, I was, I was really present. I was just sitting there looking around and breathing and just noticing. So noticing my thoughts, noticing my heartbeat, noticing what was happening for me without having it grip me. Hmm. And that was really great. And I was able to go in and do a really good audition. And I don't mean like, wow, I was so great. I mean, I was really satisfied. You know? Yeah. I, I left there. I was satisfied with that audition. You were happy with your work. I'm happy. I was prepared. I was present. I did my best. That's it. That's all we can ever do. Yes. Right? So that was really great. That was a great experience. But back to your question. Um, so really what there is for me is in, in the theme of being responsible for creating my life, um, I am starting to work on my next project. And, Wonderful. Yes. And I am currently um, re-engaging in the world of filmmaking by doing a master class with Werner Herzog, um, which I'm very much enjoying and which really works for me because I can do it at my own pace, right? It's online. Uh, you know, if I have a bad day, I don't do anything. If I have a good day, I can do a couple of hours, whatever, right? So it's at my own pace. That really works for me. Um, I don't feel that I'm ready to take on any kind of theater thing because I don't think I could sustain uh, energy like that every night. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm definitely ready for, you know, film or television, you know, a couple of days, right? Um, and hey, if I got a big gig, I would make myself ready somehow. <laughs> Back on the Red Bulls. Yes. No, 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 no. I know you would never touch those. <laughs> no. I don't have any backup Red Bulls in my face <laughs> So, no, because in fact, where I am with my health, those actually have the opposite effect. Mm -hmm. So I can't just, I can't artificially stimulate energy at all. Oh, wow. Yeah. You don't even get the high and then the big crash? No. You don't get the high at all? No. I Well, that's a whole other story. You don't I even can, want to find out. Yeah. <laughs> you no, I, can, I can with certain healthy substances, um, but that's a whole other podcast. Yeah. Uh, you know, but yeah, no, I have to be very super clean, right? Because I, yeah, I can't, I can't handle it. I don't have the adrenal reserves. So, um, what I'm doing now is I'm starting to think about my next film and last week, just last week, I had this brainstorm, epiphany, you know, visitation from the creativity gods and I now know what my next film will be and just before I came to meet you, I met with my film partner who is going to, Court Sloan, who is going to uh, produce it and he's going to co-direct it oh. with me because... I want to develop the uh, aesthetic and the look of it, but given that I'm going to be, if not the only actor, the principal actor, I need him to direct me because that's a mistake I've made in the past is um, not having someone to direct me in my own work. And so my acting wasn't where it could have been. You know, right. it's not easy to write, produce, act, direct, and direct. And no, create all weird. the roles for yourself. <laughs> but yeah, you're like you're you're giving direction to everybody else, and then you step into the scene. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like uh, 
I mean, it was okay, but, you know, it's not the But that of, is incredibly challenging. It, it is. It's a very smart move to have somebody who's on the other side of the camera. Yes. Absolutely. And someone you trust. Yes. And Cord and I have worked on several projects together, and um, he's a very talented and wise person. And uh, I trust him to direct me in this very personal, emotional journey. So, yeah, so I'll be shooting in September. And uh, that's what I'm at work on, you know, just creating. And this is, again, where the, this whole wellness thing has transformed how I approach things, is that rather than producing work in order to get somewhere, really I'm committed to excellence in what I do for the sake of it, mm -hmm. you know? I want to do the best work I can do just for the sake of doing the best work I can do. Right. And then whatever happens, happens. Well, that's really exciting that you're about to delve into your next yes, big project. Yes, Is it something similar to your one-woman show? Is it going to be a similar... Do you think it will be a similar journey for you? Hmm. I think it's not going to be as funny. <laughs> because as much as... I wouldn't call How to Become a Diva a comedy, but there was a lot of comedy in it. Mm -hmm. Um, um, I'm not sure this will have much comedy. It's a, it's, it's, it's a heavier story. I hate talking around the story. I'm not going to tell you what the story is, <laughs> but I'm, it's like so vague, you know, like, well, it's going to be not this. <laughs> Don't give us the vague symptoms yes, of your story. Symptoms. <laughs> Tease us like that. <laughs> well, we're going to have to wait. Yes. You hear yeah, just sure. have to wait. Yes. You'll just have to invite me back. Oh, I will. And then I will. Then you can have watched the film and, and then you can ask me all kinds of questions. I'll bring you back when you're done working on it so that we can promo it. Yeah. And then we will all go watch it together yes. collectively. Excellent. And then you can ask me about, you know, the kind of wellness journey within making it, right? Like, Absolutely. You know, I don't know what I'm going to confront approaching it now on this side of things because I'm not 100% well. Mm -hmm. So everything I take on now has to be with tempered with what if this is as good as I ever get? You know, I'm better than the first time I asked that question. But if I don't manage myself, if I don't prioritize what matters to me, if I don't balance all those things, I will be right back where I was. Mm -hmm. I think that's difficult for a type A personality, so that's... Well, I'd say, you know, that my personality has changed to some degree. You know, like one of the things I discovered really shockingly, is that I'm an introvert. That's interesting. Having a dichotomy of being a type A personality, mm -hmm. but learning that sometimes things are just as good as they're going to get, and then being a performer on one side as mm -hmm. well, but also having a strong sense of introvertism to your character. Well, you know, I read the book, I'm sure you've heard of the book Quiet, and I'm sorry, I, I read it so long ago, I cannot now think of the author's name, but there's a TED Talk she does mm -hmm. that's had, you know, a bajillion hits. Um, it was really transformative because I realized that, first of all, there's a spectrum, and all it means, like she's, the book is about the value of introversion. Um, I think it's uh, something about introverts, the power of, of not talking in a world that can't stop talking, something like that is the subtitle. Okay. But it really is about some people get energized being with other people. And some people get re-energized by themselves. Mm -hmm. So it's finding that 
balance. I have a little bit of both, right? Like being here with you, somebody who I love, um, I'm energized by being with you. But I'll also need to go home and be in peace and quiet. Yeah. You know? I think sometimes you don't realize I, I'm a, I have a similar, I guess you could say, personality or mm-hmm. I have a similar, similar character to me. Sometimes I don't realize that as much as I can act like a succubus on stage when I'm performing and I, I breathe in the energy that my other performers and that the audience gives to me and I do feel wired and energized after a show, I'll go home sometimes and hit that wall of exhaustion that I did not expect mm-hmm. because I was still having such a heavy expenditure of energy while I was doing the performance, even though I was gaining energy. Yes. You know, like I said, it really is a spectrum. And I, I think I used to think I had to be an extrovert because we so in our culture praise extroversion. And I had that kind of mixed in with, you know, confidence and people person and, and, security, I don't know, a bunch of things, right? But it's none of those things. It really is. Where do you get sourced, right? Mm -hmm. And so I need to have that very still and quiet time and a lot of it, a lot more than I used to need. You know, it used to be, I didn't know what it was like to have nothing to do, you know, without some kind of, you know, TV on, something happening, always running, 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 you know, always busy. Um, Noise. Yeah. And now... I have a lot of quiet in my life, a lot, and I love it. And what it allows me is to uncover who I am rather than my brand of who I am. Just to tie that right back in there. Bring it full circle. So, you know, there's the personality, the brand, the, the, you know, Turning it on. Yeah, turning it on that that we present to the world, you know. And then there's the, just who we are. And when I can be where I now live, you know, in the country, with cows across the street and a field behind my barn, it's a very different place. And for me to be able to be not just comfortable with, but like that person, has just been the most tremendous gift. You know, mm-hmm. it's just like, okay, this is just me, stripped down, not all that stuff, you know, and that's an incredible thing to do when you're faced with the challenge of, in a sense, being rewarded for turning on that extrovertism, for booking a role, for hearing the audience cheer you on. We live in, we work in an industry that gives us different forms of praise for having that extrovert side being turned on and I've met, being in the comedy community especially, Mm -hmm. I've met so many performers who, when that's all you know at first, when you're just seeing somebody up on Mm -hmm. stage and and learning who they are, it's almost a, it's a shock to then get to know them on a personal Mm -hmm. level and hear how opposite they can be, how Mm -hmm. introverted they may be, or or in, in some cases, as I've experienced, that they're not happy-go-lucky and energized all the time, Mm -hmm. but quite sincerely the opposite. Yes, and that's a way to unleash or generate that part of their 
life, their perf- their personality. That you know, it's a way to explore a different part. You know, it, it's true. And I think the thing that I love about acting is that really good acting is not about extroversion. It's about authenticity. Mm-hmm. So it's it's the thing the it's the thing that the actor brings to the surface that isn't obvious you know it's that it's that inner stuff that we can't take our eyes off of especially in television and film yes i love that there's a little bit more space to explore that stillness or that authenticity yes. um, because it is very different from being on stage stage is amplified very, yes. stage and theater and, and comedy especially is sometimes mm-hmm. forcibly loud fast hard sharp mm-hmm. Because it's a different kind of search for that for that acknowledgement or that acceptance or that applause in the audience or connection in the audience. Mm-hmm. If you were to bring it down to such a stillness on stage mm-hmm. and try to express yourself through your eyes the way that you do on film, <laughs> the people in the background at comedy bar are like, "Why are we watching? What are we paying for? Give me another beer." It's just very different. Absolutely. So. Yeah, there are varying degrees and varying um, outlets mm-hmm. to be able to explore those different facets of yourself yes. as an actor. Yes. Which I love as well. Yes. Yeah. Oh, acting. <laughs> <laughs> Such a weird world, but at the end of the day, the passion continues to drive us forward in it. Well, I think, you know, it's for me, for me personally, it is what you said about, you know, sort of exploring these different facets. And I think that... Um, you know, just to tie it into what I was saying earlier about my exploration, you know, my ontological quest is really acting falls inside of that, you know, to actually put yourself in someone else's shoes mm-hmm. to experience this range of emotions. I think it, it gives us compassion and I think that's the, maybe the best, certainly one of the best things that art can provide, right, is being able to see through a different perspective. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's why I do art. Mm-hmm. To learn not to wall in myself and to see my, my story through other perspectives too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sitting down with me and chatting with me for the podcast. Thank you so much for asking. You know, I think one of our greatest needs is to be heard, you know? And... One of my biggest challenges over the last few years was, you know, not getting to express anything, not being heard. And thank you for wanting to hear me. Always, I will. <laughs> I, I will want you to come back, and I will. I will want to hear more of your story. But as I'll you can do it. Good. Thank I love you. being with you, Kaylee. I love being with you. <laughs> thank you for joining me. And welcome back. So I'm just going to go right into our one cool things. So I'm kind of actually um, repeating what um, Michelle has said, writing things down, having a vision for yourself. She talked about how she wrote something down so many years ago, put it away and reopened it. And she was doing exactly what was on that piece of paper because she had a vision of what she wanted. Um, I agree 110% with this. I've done this before and... I'll tell you, I wrote down about 10 things on a piece of paper and I put it underneath my mattress for many years. And the only thing on that piece of paper that has not come true yet is a million dollars. 
So I completely believe in vision boards or smart goals and keeping them dear and close to your heart. You don't have to read them every day. You don't have to read them every month or year. It's just things that you want to see in your life. Put them on a piece of paper, put them somewhere special, and you'd be surprised within five years of how many of those things you can probably cross off your list. What are some of the goals that you wrote down that have come true for you? So, I mean, they were very easily statable goals. One was going on vacation overseas. Another was getting a new um, a Mac, a new MacBook Pro computer. Another was landing an act, a paying acting job, and I actually ended up landing two. And, you know, it's just small little things like that or even... Um, the other one was get a new bed you know like really simple things that at the point at that point in time I wasn't able to afford or didn't think I'd be able to get but three four five years down the line it was everything except that million dollars yet yet it's coming it'll come (laughs) and you mentioned smart goals which is an acronym uh what what does it stand for again specific measurable attainable yeah Something and time specific. What's the R? Relate. No, not relatable. Um, real. Real. Not that enough. works. Sure. But yeah, just not. I'll find it and we'll yeah. connect it in the show notes. Goals that you actually see happening in your life. Something smart. I mean, you're not going to go out there and be like, I want to be Catherine Zeta Jones. Because you're not. You need... Wait, what? I'm not? Oh, yeah. Shit, I wrote that down. I thought it came true already. Wow. Who am I? Don't put a mirror up. I don't want to know. Don't <laughs> shatter my reality. <laughs> but yeah, so maybe make yourself a vision board or or a, a vision paper and keep it in your wallet and see what happens. Even just try it for a month. Try it on small things. Try it on, I want to make a new friend this month. And it could be that simple, you know? Simple. It is so funny that you actually used the example of Catherine City Jones because uh, a couple of my other girlfriends, this is, I think about two years ago or so. Um, I don't know if I've mentioned this before on our podcast, but I had a couple other girlfriends, other actors, who you know wanted to make vision boards. And mm-hmm. um, oh, yeah. I know I've told you about this before. I, I told you this before. I have friends who want to make vision boards, so I was all game. I'm, I'm about smart goals, writing things down, figuring out what the next steps are, yeah. but also just like the time that we spend together and building art together. And so they're like, cool, yeah, bring over a bunch of magazines, which I didn't get at the time. Uh, I didn't know how they were building their vision board. So I did. I found some magazines and I brought them over, but I also brought over a bunch of canvases and a bucket of gesso and (laughs) my little sculpting knife. And um, I, (laughs) you can see up on my wall over there, there's one there, there's one there. I have two so far in uh, what's going to be a three-part canvas project of... What I've built is a white brick wall out of gesso, uh, malleable, like a thick paint that I piled onto this canvas and then shaped into what looks like a white brick wall. I shaped the bricks out of this gesso. Um, And their vision boards were uh, cutouts from magazines of different quotes that sat with them and um, other actors that they looked up to or wanted to embody uh, and Catherine Zito Jones was one of the pictures that was on one of her one of my friends' <laughs> boards. Awesome. I'm like, oh, I complete, I get how different I went with. Like, I took a very different direction 
with the building of my vision board. Um, I don't know if the brick wall is symbolic for some sort of block that I may have had at the time, but what it's I like possible. to see it as now is that I built a tabula rasa for myself. This mm-hmm. my, brick by brick, I built myself a new canvas to develop whatever I wanted on top of it. There you go. Yeah, it's all in the way that we interpret things, right? Yeah. Uh, I also have one cool thing for this episode, and it's my friend, another cinematographer, another filmmaker, Stefan Kuchar, has a film festival he's been running for the past six years called the Sudden Impulse Film Festival, and I run the interviews on the red carpet. I host the interviews on the red carpet. And this is the second year that I got to host the interviews on the red carpet, which is super fun because I love hosting gigs. But I also really love the concept behind why he started this film festival, which was the fact that he was having such a difficult time getting his films accepted into other film festivals. So he said, fuck it. I'm going to make my own film festival. And that's exactly what he did. And it's an insane amount of work. Um, And every year he's, you know, I'll, I'll show up on the day and he's... He's got this big smile on his face. I ask how things are going. And he's like, super stressed, big migraine, but <laughs> going to get through it and, it, you know, enjoy the ride of it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and he did it and, it. and it's been growing every single year. And it's fun to also start to see other friends that I know from, say, the improv community, the comedy community, who are not sitting around and waiting for their agents to call, but they're going and making their own art and they're creating their own messages and they're putting it out there. Mm-hmm. And there's an entire film festival now dedicated to these short films, these projects that are DIY. It's incredible. Uh, So I'll put a link to the Sudden Impulse Film Festival in our show notes as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that's it for this episode. I'm going to wrap that up. Let's wrap that up. On a Tuesday again. So if you liked what you heard, you can uh, subscribe to us on the interwebs. For... On the iTunes. On the iTunes interwebs. I hear they're actually going to be rebranding, I guess, in a sense, where I don't think they're calling it iTunes anymore. I think it's going to be called something like just Apple Music or Apple something. Apple, I'm sure. Just Well, anyways, just subscribe to us on iTunes. Go find the thing that I'm sure you can find and then hit the subscribe button. Yeah, and then you can like us on, what's that, Facebook? Yeah. Facebook is the likes. Yes, and then what are the follows? Following um, either in real person, like a stalker. No, or not what don't you mean. do that. That's scary. Um, in, in Instagrams. Instagrams. And the um, tweets, the twitters. Yeah, little birds. Yeah. Be a little bird, yeah. fly around and find us wherever we are. That sounds super stalkery too. Don't do that. Anyway, no, social just, media, go know, find us. Send us some love and tell us what you'd like to hear. Love in the world. Sing it. Made it up. Bye. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you.